What's poppin' people? Welcome back to Sunday School. Sunday School is a show where we read through the Bible and we try to understand what God's Word means and how we can apply it to our lives. We've been reading through the book of Romans and today we're going to be getting into Romans chapter 7. And Romans chapter 7 teaches one of the most bizarre, one of the strangest doctrines that there is in Christianity. Marriage to Christ. I know that there are some Christian denominations which have a teaching, a concept similar to marriage of Christ. They call it marriage to Christ. Like, for example, the Catholic Church has nuns, right? And these nuns are women who have dedicated their lives to the church. They're not going to get married. And many people say that they're married to Christ. They're married to God. But this is not what we're talking about in Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7 is going to teach, as we see, that the average believer, the average Christian, male or female, is married to Jesus. And I know that might sound very, very strange and very bizarre, but the fact is that is what we're going to see here today. So before we get into the text, I just want to recap how we got here and kind of summarize the last two chapters because... There's a lot of information that has been contained in the last two chapters that are very important. We got to look at all of these contextually because they all play into how we're getting to chapter seven. So in chapters three and four, we really established that salvation is through faith alone in Christ alone, that Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross for us. And that if we believe in him and we trust in him, we will go to heaven. In Romans chapter 5, Paul starts to get into how it is, what, by what mechanisms are we getting rewarded for what Jesus did? You know, why is it that something Jesus did 2,000 years ago makes us go to heaven 2,000 years later, right? And Paul talks about how it's similar to original sin, to Adam and Eve, and how Adam and Eve, they ate the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, and because of that, they were punished with death. And since we were inside of Adam's body, right, inside, you know, not to be vulgar, but inside his testicles, inside of his genetics, we have been punished in the same way. It's not that we're getting punished like for his sins, but that human nature itself has been changed. And since we are of the same species, human our nature itself has in a way been changed. We no longer live forever, but we have the capability to die. But so the same way, Jesus Christ can fundamentally change our nature. He can change us from sinful to sinless. He can change us from mortal to immortal. And this happens to us because just like how we were inside of Adam and we share the same genetics as Adam in some sense, right? All human males have the same Y chromosome that Adam had. Because of that, we die. And so just like that, we're placed inside of Jesus. And because we are inside of Jesus and Jesus's nature is fundamentally different from ours, he is divine. He is the son of God. We are also fundamentally changed in our nature. And so in chapter six, Paul talks about how baptism, it fundamentally changes our nature in that we become 
Jesus. He says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him through baptism into death. And just like how Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we will be raised from the dead. And this is the essence of Christianity. If you do not get this, you are just missing it all. Christianity teaches that we become Jesus, that Jesus lives inside of us. As Christians, what we believe fundamentally is that if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, that we will be transformed in the eyes of God and we will take Jesus's place in heaven that he earned through his righteous life and he will take our place in hell in the grave through his death on the cross. That is the belief of Christianity, that Jesus made a blood sacrifice and that he was punished in our place so that we do not have to be punished. But chapter 6 also gets into another question, which is, if this is the gospel message, does that mean that we have free license to sin? And Paul's answer is no, we do not have free license to sin because our nature has been fundamentally changed. And so even though we're not being held accountable to the law, we are not under the law. We do not have to be a good person to go to heaven because Jesus was a good person for us, right? Jesus was a good person, so you don't have to be a good person. That's what it literally teaches the Bible. But even though that's the case, what Jesus did changes us and makes us turn from sin. But now, being made free from sin, you have become servants of God and you have fruits unto holiness and everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what Paul gets into in chapter 7 is he's going to get into more of how, what the mechanism is behind us getting saved. What happens? Why is it, why is it that even though I've lived an incredibly sinful life my entire life and I still sin now from time to time, how is it that even though I'm an evil person, that I can just be forgiven like that? How is it that I don't have to change my life? I don't have to do anything other than believe in Jesus. So Paul says, verse 1, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law. So Paul is speaking to people who are aware of the Ten Commandments, right? And not just the Ten Commandments, but all of the commandments that God gives in the Old Testament. I recently just got done reading through Exodus, Numbers, and all these, you know, Deuteronomy, all these books in the Old Testament where it has all these commandments. And there's a lot of commandments that God gives to the people of Israel. So he's talking to someone who is familiar with the law. Know you not, you that are familiar with the law, how that the law has dominion over a man for as long as he lives. So the law, the 613 commandments given in the Torah, you know, thou shall not kill, thou shall not, thou shall not commit adultery, thou shall not this, thou shall not that. 
That's the law. And the law is over a man for as long as he lives. So long as you're alive on this earth, you are going to be held accountable to the law. Now, of course, Christians are not under the law, but we're not talking about saved people. We're not talking about Christians. He's just talking about the average person. The average person is going to be under the law for as long as they live. And when they die, they are going to be held accountable to the standards of the law. So the law says, thou shall not kill. So if you ever killed anyone in your life, you're going to go to hell. The law says, do not hate. If you hate someone, you're going to go to hell, etc., etc. But Paul gets into the laws pertaining to marriage. And so I want to get into what the Bible teaches about marriage, because it's going to be pertinent to understanding this passage. So if we go to Genesis chapter 2, we get the story of Adam and Eve. And Genesis 1, 2, and 3, it's the story of Adam and Eve, the creation myth that most people know Genesis 4. And in Genesis chapter 2, we learn about the creation of Eve. See, Adam was created in the garden with God, in the image of God. So he's similar to God, but he's also vastly different. God is all-powerful, and we're all-powerful in some sense, but we are limited to the material world. God is immaterial. He can, and so he can create things from nothing. But because we are limited to the material world, we can only do things insofar as the material world allows us to. We're only all powerful in this sandbox, but not, you know, cosmically, if that makes sense. While Adam had God and he had, you know, his animal friends, his pets, and he took care of the garden and all that, he was lonely. And so God took from Adam a rib from his body and created Eve, who was the first woman, right? And so Adam has a missing piece and that missing piece is completed by the woman. And so it says at the very end of Genesis chapter two, after it tells this story about God creating Eve, it says, therefore, so because of this, because of what we just read about God creating Eve out of the man's rib. And so the man has a missing piece that's fulfilled by the woman. Therefore, because of that, a man will leave his father and mother and will cleave unto his wife and they will become one flesh. See, when you get married to someone, you become one flesh, right? That's intimacy. If you have a healthy marital relationship, you kind of just know what your wife is thinking. Your wife knows what you're thinking. You have a deep understanding of your partner. That's what a healthy marriage looks like. It's supposed to be the most intimate relationship. And intimacy, the definition of that is knowing someone's secrets. So you know all their secrets. You know the innermost person inside of them. That's And that's what happens when you have a marriage. That's true love. You become one flesh, right? And that's ultimately shown in that when you're married to someone and you have sex with them, right? Because that is the deepest form of intimacy is to have sex with someone. Not only do you cognitively 
mentally understand this person. Not not how not only have you been told about their inside, but you have been inside of them. That is the deepest form of intimacy. And when you are inside of this woman, or this man is inside of you, if you're a woman, what happens? You create a baby. And that baby is literally a fusion of your genetic code, the thing that makes up your whole body, and your husband's genetic code. Or if you're a man, your wife's genetic code. And it's fused together. Both of you literally do become one flesh. So this is a teaching on marriage. This is what a marriage is. It's having deep love and intimacy towards another person. So much so that you become one flesh in this mysterious way, this more mysterious way that you and them kind of almost become like the same person, like a clone, like the female clone of you or the male clone of you if you're a woman. Like you get that close that you become like that tight with each other that like you think the same way. And that's a more mysterious way. Like you have this deep emotional connection in your heart to them. But then there's this very obvious physical way that you produce a child and this child, all your children are literally you and your husband. And so you are one person. You have become one being, one flesh. And that word flesh is the same word that you'd use for a steak. A steak is a piece of flesh, a piece of meat, one meat, one body, that's what it means. What you become in the eyes of God and literally when you have children, one body, one flesh. So the Bible teaches that because of this deep, deep, intimate connection that is supposed to make up a marriage, that to annul a marriage, to get divorced, although it is allowed in the Bible, it is a sin. It is wrong. You should not leave your husband, and your husband should not leave you. Now, the Bible allows for divorce because many times people will get married in this fallen world for lustful purposes or, you know, they're gold diggers and they just want wealth. They don't actually love the other person. They don't actually have a deep, intimate connection. And so as Jesus says, I believe in the book of Matthew, but I'll have the verse on screen if you're watching on YouTube, because of the hardness of our hearts, because we're so hell-bent on sinning, God allows divorce. But it has to be this like legal process. You have to like have a legal divorce where you write a letter of divorcement between your wife. And if you don't do that, if you just leave your husband and go screw someone else or your boyfriend, you don't have to be married legally, right? You don't have to be married legally. But if you just go leave your boyfriend and sleep with someone else or leave your wife and sleep with someone else, you've committed a sin. And so in the law, that sin called adultery, adultery would be cheating on your wife, cheating on your girlfriend, cheating on your husband, cheating on your boyfriend. That sin was so bad that the nation of Israel was commanded to put that person on trial. And if they have been proven to have committed adultery, they should be put to death through stoning. And stoning is where you take a big rock and you smash it into their head. And so the whole community, 
the whole community, all the family members of this person were to get together and kill the woman and kill the man who she slept with and cheated on her husband with. Or if, it, you know, whatever, however it was, if it was a man cheating or a woman cheating. And that's very brutal, right? At least some people are going to think it's very brutal. And as Christians, right, we do not have to do that, right? As it says, we're not under the law. And we're going to get more into that as we read the rest of this chapter. But we're not under the law. So we don't necessarily have to mimic that same practice. But the point is that, like, if you cheat on your husband, right, it's a sin. For the woman which has a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he lives. So as long as your husband is alive or your wife is alive, it works either way, you are one flesh with them in the eyes of God. And so you are bound to them for life. Now the Bible allows for a divorce where both parties decide to annul the marriage, but to leave your husband, go behind your husband's back and cheat on them, or to go behind your wife's back and cheat on them, or to, or to even get their permission without annulling the marriage, like to do some kind of, you know, weird swingers thing, that will land you in hell. So as long as your husband or wife is alive, you're bound to them. But this is talking about a woman from the woman's perspective. From a woman's perspective, they are bound to their husband so long as he lives. But... But if the husband is dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. The Bible also teaches that if your husband dies or if your wife dies, your marriage has been annulled. You're no longer one flesh anymore and you're free to marry someone else. So if you're incapable of obtaining a divorce from both parties, then when the husband or the wife dies, you are free to marry someone else. And this is the law. So what Paul's making the case here for what he's saying is he's saying the law is over all people. And the law has certain teachings on marriage. And God is going to hold us accountable to follow these teachings on marriage. If we break his commandments having to do with marriage if we commit if we commit adultery if we fornicate or whatever we cheat on our husband or wife or if as a man you get married to another man or as a woman you try to get with another woman these things are going to land you in hell is this understood because many people get very confused here they think that the man is the law and the woman is us that's not what's happening here the law is over the man and the woman. The man and the woman are both bound together as one flesh under the Ten Commandments, under the law. And until one of them dies, they cannot leave each other. They have to stay faithful till death do us part. So then, if while her husband lives, she be married to another man, she will be called an adulteress. So if she cheats on her husband, that's adultery, right? Even if she gets married to another man, if she's still married to her original husband, that is adultery. That is cheating. That's worthy of death. That's worthy of hell. But if her husband is dead, then she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. 
This is very simple here, but this really confuses a bunch of people. I have no clue why. But what this is saying is that if you are married to someone and you cheat on them, you have committed a sin. But if you're married to someone and the person you are married to dies, you are no longer breaking the law. You are no longer sinning by cheating on them. It's not cheating because that person is dead. So if they are alive, it's cheating. It's a, it's a sin. It is breaking the law. But if they're dead, it's no longer a sin and it's no longer breaking the law. The law did not die. The husband died. The woman did not die. The husband died. It's still a sin to cheat on your husband. But if your husband does not exist anymore, then you don't have a marriage. So therefore, you're no longer under the law of marriage. So he talks about all this stuff to do with marriage because he's going to get into how we get saved by Christ. And we get saved by Christ through marriage. But it's a different kind of marriage. Wherefore, my brethren... You are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So now we're getting into one of the strangest concepts in the Bible. Like I said in the intro, marriage to Jesus. As a Christian, you are married to Jesus Christ. Now, it's not like a literal marriage where like you're going to have sex with them and it's not even a marriage where you have to stay committed to them and like you can't ha you can't get married right it's not that kind of marriage it's a different kind of marriage but it works in the same way that you become one flesh with this person so just to make it clear before we get any further into this as a christian it is not a sin for you to get married to a woman or to a man and to have sex with that woman and man and produce children that is not a sin and it is a marriage but we are also married in a different way not in the same way that we're married to our wife we are married to jesus so how does that work well let's get into human anatomy so the Bible has its own version of human anatomy. Now we're not talking about like all the organs and the heart and the brain. It's not that kind of anatomy, but the spiritual anatomy. So as it says in Galatians chapter five, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit lusts against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you cannot do the things that you would. See the human being is made up of two parts, the flesh and the spirit. The flesh is literally your physical body. This 
arm here, my torso, my head, my hands, my, my legs, my feet. That's my flesh. Now, if you read any other Bible translations, the Bible will translate this word flesh that is used throughout all of Paul's epistles, not as flesh, but as sinful nature. And that is a total mistranslation. When the Bible uses the word flesh in the Greek, it's using the word sarks. And the word sarks is the same word that's used when Jesus eats meat. Sarks. He's eating flesh. If you eat a steak, you are eating flesh. And just like how a cow can be chopped up into pieces of flesh like steak, like a ribeye, like a New York strip, the human body can be cut up into pieces, right? But of course, we're not going to get into all that. But the point is we have flesh. We have flesh, blood, and bone. And we have our organs and all that too, right? That is our flesh. But the human also has another part. We have a spirit, right? We have a soul and the soul animates us. So we are flesh and we are spirit. Now, if you continue reading in Galatians chapter five, it talks about how the flesh has lust. From the flesh is where we get the lust to eat, the lust to have sex, the lust for power, the lust for laziness and not working. None of these things are evil. These are just the natural functions of the human body. You have the lust to eat so you don't starve to death. You have the lust to have sex so that you can have sex with your wife who you love and reproduce. You have the lust for power so that you have protection. You have the lust for this and the lust for that. It's natural. That's just the human body. And the spirit, it lusts after these greater things. So the spirit lusts after making high art. The spirit lusts after doing the right thing. The spirit lusts after helping others. So we have this more base part of ourself. One could say it's the animalistic half of ourself. And then we have the higher spiritual part of ourself, the intellectual part of ourself that wants to do great things, make great art, help others, do the right thing. And these two parts of us make up our body. So a human body, our human body, it's one thing. It's not two different things. It is one thing made up of two different members. It's just like marriage. <clears throat> a marriage, right? A little baby that gets produced from a man and a woman having sex, that baby is made up of two different people's DNA. It's two different people fused together into one child. That child isn't two different people though. He's one person, but his parts are two different things. Does that make sense? So as a person, there's no separation between your flesh and your spirit. They are one thing that make up you. The spirit is what animates the flesh. The flesh is what gives the spirit the ability to interact with the physical world. You guys grasping this? We are bound to our flesh and the flesh is bound to our spirit as long as we live. So long as I am alive, my flesh and my spirit are one. But when we die, our flesh and our spirit get separated. And so if our flesh and our spirit is to be separated, our marriage to it is annulled. Now the flesh 
Our physical body is the part of us that wants to sin. But what the Bible teaches is that our flesh in the eyes of God has died. It has been annulled. This marriage from my body to my spirit, the spirit is the higher part of me. The flesh is the baser part of me. This marriage has been annulled and my spirit is divorced from my body and my spirit has been remarried to Jesus and we are in the body of Christ. And so when we are judged, we will not be judged by God and be held accountable for what our flesh does in this physical world because the marriage our spirit has to our flesh has been annulled. Instead, we will be judged by what Jesus did because our spirit has been married to his body. So I'm totally out of time. My, ba- my camera is about to die. But I hope that this opens up your eyes and gives you a greater understanding of the gospel. Thank you for watching. You can listen to this on Spotify and all the podcasting platforms. Thanks for watching. See you next time.